probably not something that you're used to hearing a pastor say. Especially to start the sermon. But I like to keep it real. I like to be honest with you. I don't like to do anything for show. Contrary to popular belief, I don't do anything for just shock value. I share with you the way I feel about certain subjects. And so I want to tell you this statement. Overall, I hate the church. I'm just not a fan of it. I didn't say action church. I said the church, the local church. If I wasn't the pastor of action church, the reality is I wouldn't attend church. I'd sleep in on Sunday. I'd roll out of bed in my thong, pajama, bottoms. If I felt so inclined, I'd find some service online to make fun of. Probably not even that. I'd get up on Sunday mornings, I'd go eat breakfast, I'd come home and do whatever I wanted to do. I I just look at the church in general and think, man, it's everything and anything but what Jesus wanted it to be. It's a fashion show. It is a political party. It is a place where we do things because they've always been done that way. It's a networking opportunity. It's a place to go to feel better about ourselves and feel like we fulfilled our duty for the week. It's a cash grab. It's really the most segregated place in our country. Every Sunday, white people go to the white church, Spanish people go to the Spanish church, and black people go to the black church, and poor people go to the poor church, and all the wannabe 40 and 50-year-olds who still think they're cool go to the cool church. Did I say that? It's just a gross place, man, the church. It's hypocritical. Like just a bunch of sorry people like us, but they act like they're not sorry people. I just hate the church. And that's really a shame because the reality is Christ left the church here to carry out his mission. But especially in North America, we have Americanized the church. We've turned it into big business. We no longer go to the church because the church feeds us or where we can serve at the church. We go to the church that kind of caters to us. We go to the church that we can hide out in. And if I wasn't the pastor here, I just simply wouldn't attend church. But for me, and by no means am I saying this is the perfect church, because trust me, it is not the perfect church. But I'm glad Action Church exists. I'm glad that in the middle of our city, there's a place where people can come, no matter the color of their skin, their sexual preference, their social standing, and they can be loved 
right where they are. It doesn't matter if they even believe there's a God, they can come here and be loved. I'm glad that there's an island of misfit toys that exists in the heart of our city for our city. I'm proud of this church. Sometimes in the hustle and bustle of everything that I do, especially career-wise, Action Church kind of gets overshadowed. Or it seems it gets overshadowed, but it really doesn't because the reality is I don't want to promote Action Church. I promote my businesses. I don't want to turn this into a business. I don't really want Action Church to get structured. I have to be structured in my business. I'm already busy in real world. I don't need the church to be a place that keeps me busy all the time for the sake of keeping me busy. I'm glad that we gather on Sunday mornings to celebrate what Christ has done for us. I'm glad that we gather on Sunday mornings to hear the practicality of the Word of God. Make no mistake about it. This is the most practical book for any decision you're making in life. Again, whether you believe there's a God or there's not a God, this is a practical book that will change your life if you follow the principles of this book. I'm glad we gather on Sundays, and then I'm glad basically all we else do is just people serve the community. People ask me all the time, when are we starting this or when are we starting that? And I'm like, we're 11 years in. If you don't think we're starting anything, you figured that out by now, I don't know what to tell you. This is what we do. We love God, we love people, and we take action. I love this church. I got a message this week on the Action Church page, and someone was saying that our series was inappropriately named, and they were saying that we were glorifying our church over Jesus. That's okay. Everybody's entitled to their opinions. And and that's not the goal of this series. It's a series that I simply want to have to kind of remind you of why we do what we do around here. I talked to you last week about the fact that actually everything we do around here is because we're all about Jesus. But I didn't just want to get up and tell you that we were all about Jesus. I wanted to make a case on why we believe that. And I hope I accomplished that. Today I want to remind you that because we're all about Jesus, there's a reason that we exist. There's a reason that fuels everything that we do as a church. And again, if you're new here today, welcome. You kind of get to be part of a family chat today. It's just kind of a reminder series of why we do what we do when we do it. I told you, you sometimes have got to be reminded of things. If you get complacent in things, you begin to take things for granted. You always have got to be reminded. We kind of do that in our marriages sometimes. We've been together, we've been together, we quit doing what we used to do, and we wonder why things begin to start to fall apart, or our our vision just kind of drifts a little bit. I talked to you last week about that helium balloon, and you know, everybody's seen a helium balloon, it sticks up to the sun, but no one ever sees it falls. You just come in one day and it's it's on the ground. No one sees the helium leaking out of it. And I think that's what happens sometime with vision. 
It, it just suddenly leaks out, and there's churches all over our country today that are literally dying on the vine, that one time were thriving, and one time reaching their communities, and one time were about keeping the main thing the main thing, and suddenly they're not anymore, and I don't even know if they could look back and tell you where the turning point came. The vision just leaked over time. So it's just kind of a reminder. A lot of times you get up and do these type series when a church is in a bad place and we're actually in a really good place. I would actually say probably as healthy as we've ever been. But I want to remind you why we exist. If you ever wondered why we gather together, let me make it clear today. This actually might be the message today that you decide I'm never coming back to that church again. That's fine. Because we're not changing what we're about to keep you. We exist for one reason and one reason only, and that is to reach those that nobody else is reaching. To be a church that is reaching those that nobody else is reaching, you have to do things that no one else is doing. Canton didn't need another church. Canton doesn't need another church. You can't throw a rock in this community without hitting a church. It's like Baskin-Robbins, baby, whatever your flavor is. You like big church? We got some of the best big churches around. You like Methodist churches? We got Methodist churches. You like Baptist churches? Lord God knows we got Baptist churches. You want to speak in tongues and run laps? We got churches that are speaking tongues and run laps. Traditional churches, contemporary churches. We have a cowboy church. I don't even know what that means. I guess I don't think there's a lot of cowboys in Cherokee County, but there's a lot of wannabes, and so I'm sure it fits in real good there. Did you know something, though? Did you know that there's a skater church in Cherokee County? It's been going for 10 years. It's smaller. They have a very niche target, and they have thrived for years. So what I'm saying is any kind of church you want is in Canton. Canton didn't need another church. But it did need a place that was creating an environment where those who don't know God, those who are burned out, are hurt, or think they're hurt by God, but are really hurt by the church and their interpretation of God, can come in and feel loved. And that's why we exist. It literally, in every sense of the word, is an island of misfit toys. We proudly wear the badge of outcast because the reality is the world's full of outcasts. We don't want anyone to feel like they've got to look a certain way and act a certain way and, and be fake. And, and let's just be honest, that's what happens at most churches. You fight the whole way here with your spouse. You pull in the parking lot and you put that fake smile on. Praise Jesus. You and your wife been fighting in the parking lot? Come on in here and fight, baby. We like it. We got, I told you, we got some rings. Y'all can take care of it. The average church in America feels like a funeral service instead of a gathering of those who have been redeemed by God. The average church in America 
feels like a programmed thing. It's the same thing in every place. I just don't get that. This really ought to be the greatest show on earth. I mean, think about it. If we really believe what we believe, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, and we believe that Christ saved our life, it's not about what we've done but about what he did, then this ought to be the, the wildest place around. I've said for years, we ought to pull into the parking lot on Sunday morning and there ought ought to be people tailgating out there. There ought to be people excited about it. We ought to be more excited about this than any ball game, any concert, any festival, any activity, because the fact of the matter is we get to be around people who have been redeemed by the King of Kings. That's an amazing thing, but we've watered down the church. We have forgotten what the church is about. I'll never forget, anybody ever been to Vegas? Anybody ever been to Vegas? I'll never forget the first time I ever went to Vegas. I'm an event person. I was amazed the first time I went to Vegas. Lights and signs and everything. And then it hit me. You know, Vegas at the end of the day really has nothing to say. It's really one of those places that if you're there more than two or three days, you begin to feel a heaviness on you. I I can't explain it. They have nothing to say, but they say it in every way possible. The church has everything to say and does a horrible job of saying it. I think the problem is is we've turned Christianity into a safe thing, a tame thing. Instead of being warriors, and as you go back and you read this book, you will see that Christ literally used warriors, barbarians, unlearned men, the Bible says, to carry out his message And what we've done is we've turned everybody into nice, neat gentlemen and ladies. We've taken the Jewish carpenter who was overturning tables and we've turned him into some meek, mild guy who rides a donkey side saddle with his purple sash as he carries a little lamb in his hands. We've neutered Jesus, but nobody wants to talk about that. We made him safe because when he's safe, What's there to hate about him? What's there to get mad about? Christianity has spread over 2,000 years by people being willing to take risk, by people who didn't care what society said, who didn't care what religion said or tradition said or denomination said. They said, I believe there's a man named Jesus and I'm willing to spread the message of what he's done. Time we get back to breaking the rules if we want to be the church that Christ died for. Now, the problem is, is when you get back to breaking the rules and you take risks, let me explain something to you that gets messy. You have messy people, which I am the king of. There's a mess. And we don't like that in our churches. We like it nice and neat and clean. We like everybody to fake it on Sunday morning, even though we know they're really struggling. Let's fake it, and then we don't got to feel guilty about that people are hurting around us. Christianity's messy. Proverbs says, where there are no ox in the crib, or there's no ox in the stable, the stable stays clean. But that's not the purpose of the stable. The church ought to be messy. 
The church ought to be messy for the right reasons. The church is messy nowadays because of drama. The church is messy now because of preferences. The church now is messy now because we got a few money people pulling all the purse strings. The church is messy now because we're more interested in keeping people than we are preaching the truth to people. We've got to keep our kingdoms going. We've got big buildings to pay for and staff to pay for and this to pay for and new lights to pay for and new projectors to pay for. And man, if we ruffle any feathers, how are we going to pay the bills? I'm just giving you a peek behind the curtain today. Anybody seen The Wizard of Oz? I've been behind that curtain. I did big church. I had all the accolades. I've been in all the magazines, been there, done that. Man, I got the scars all over me to prove it. And when you pull back the curtain, there's a little old man back there just turning the knobs that we call the wizard. We're not left here to gather together. We're left here to go change our communities with the gospel of Jesus Christ. My favorite chapter in all the Bible and what we have built the foundation of our church on is in Luke 15. I used to preach this all the time. It used to be the running joke around here that about every five or six weeks I was going to take us to Luke 15 and preach from it again. But I actually pulled up my stuff the other day and it's been almost two years since I've taught from this passage of Scripture. Jesus is talking to a group of people here. And the religious people come up to him and they begin to question him and they begin to accuse him and they begin to judge him. And anytime you're doing something right or if you ever want to know you're doing something right in the form of Christianity, look and see how many religious people are criticizing you. The Bible says in Luke 15, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Isn't it funny that a man who was perfect without sin Yet those who were considered outcasts of the day were drawn to him. No judgment from Jesus. No rebukes from Jesus. Just love from Jesus. They were drawn to him. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees, that's the religious people of the day. And the teachers of the law muttered. And they'll always, let's just clarify here, they will always mutter. They'll never have the testicular fortitude, that's balls if you live in Pickens County, to come to you and confront you face to face. They'll be passive aggressive on social media. They'll let everybody know who they're talking about without ever talking about them. They'll never come to you, they'll mutter. They'll hit that laughing emoji on your post and change it later to a like they wanted to make sure you saw that it was a laughing emoji. Because they're spineless. They mutter. Are we getting too close to home today? Normally I have notes, I just have scripture today, so we're freestyling everything. I'm going to have fun if no one else does. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered. This man welcomes sinners. Oh my God, God forbid. And he eats with them. And then Jesus, being the pimp he is, didn't defend himself, did not rebuke them. He just goes into a story. 
Like, I, I picture Jesus sometimes. Kind of like Talladega Nights, and they're all sitting around the table talking about how they picture Jesus. I picture Jesus sometimes as just that cool uncle who's got all those great stories. Like, he never really answers your question, but he just goes into great stories. So they're muttering about him, murmuring about him, complaining about him, saying it just loud enough where he hears bits and pieces of it. The Bible says Jesus just goes into a story. Here's what's interesting about Luke 15. He doesn't go into one story. He doesn't go into two stories. He goes into three stories. Three different stories that all have the same truth found in them. I think Jesus was trying to make a point. You ever told your kids to do something once? But then you have those rare moments where you have to tell them to do it three times and it's a little different the third time. You want them to know that you're serious about what you're saying. I think that was Jesus because he didn't even give them time to talk in between the stories. And so he begins to tell these stories. And when Jesus hits you with three stories back to back that have the same meaning, you probably should listen. Now listen, listen. Your mama said you should have listened the first time. He wanted to eliminate excuses. He tells a story about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. And one of them gets lost. Now the joker still got 99 sheep. But he leaves the 99 to go find the one. He wasn't worried about those that were found. He was worried about the one that was lost. I was eating with sinners and tax collectors. Jesus goes into the story. And, and then before they can, blah, 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 he, ah, there's a lady, she had 10 coins. You understand these coins were valuable. These coins signified something to everybody around her. And she lost one of the coins. Now, she still had nine coins. Man, if I got a 90 in school, I was ecstatic. If I still had 90%, I was good. Bible says she lost the one coin. She stayed up all night long. Swept the floors looking for that coin. The Bible says when she found the coin, she let all the neighbors know, man, come rejoice with me. I found the coin. So again, he says there's a shepherd, and he lost a sheep, and he does whatever it takes to find the sheep. There's a lady who lost a coin, and she does whatever it takes to find the coin. Then he goes into the story, my favorite story in all of Scripture, the story of the prodigal son. A man had two sons. One of the sons came to him, told him to give his inheritance early. The son was in the wrong. Son goes off and blows everything. We might get into that a little bit today, but he, he goes off and blows everything. He's at rock bottom. He, he's, he's literally in a pig pen, jealous that the pigs have food and he doesn't. He says, man, I can go back home and I can be a servant in my father's land and live better than this. And the Bible says he starts to head home. We're going to get into this. And the Bible says when he was far off, the father saw him. You know why the father saw him far off? He was looking for him. Then when the son got there, he didn't say, man, I told you so. That's my move. My move. My move. I'm getting better. I had an instance this week where I told Emily some stuff in the past and it reared his head and I was sitting in the couch and her and Christine were talking and all of a sudden I felt blood coming down my chin. 
or I was biting my tongue. Because I wanted to be like, I told you so. But I'm learning at 47. It wasn't the time or place. You know? Yeah, I'm learning. Always growing. The Bible says the guy threw a huge party for the son. Three stories, three principles. Why is he hanging out with those people? You know, what we get accused of around here all the time is why are we hanging out with those people? Why would that church be willing to do that? Why does that church allow that to happen? Why does that church welcome those type of people? Three stories, three different meanings. I want to go over those meanings today because those meanings kind of signify everything that we do. The first thing I want you to notice is something valuable was missing. In each of the stories, something valuable was missing. What the Bible says, suppose one of you had 100 sheep and loses one of them. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one of them. I like it when he gets to that next story. It says, Jesus continued. It's just reiterating that he's just, bam, he's jab, jab, and he's fixing to give that knockout blow. I, I don't know much about fighting, but I know this. You set the uppercut up with the jab. So Jesus is jabbing, 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 and at the end of this third story, he delivers the uppercut. And I'm going to deliver it to you later. But he says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons, the younger said to his father, Father, give me my share of the state, so he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off to a distant country. So something valuable is missing. What's missing? A sheep's missing. But just one. Just one. If you had an employee and they had a 99% success rate, you'd be pretty happy with them. But only one's missing. A coin's missing, but only one. And a son goes off in a far land. Something valuable is missing. I want you to know and listen to what I'm about to tell you. In our community, something valuable is missing. This is what keeps me up at night. I don't, I don't stay up at night over religion. I don't stay up over tradition, denomination. I don't stay up at night over the religious. I don't stay up at night over church. I stay up over this. 74% of this community does not attend church not because they have a problem with God, because they have a problem with the church. That bothers me. You say, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Boom, you're exactly right. But the Bible also says that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. There's something powerful that happens when we come together. There's something powerful about worshiping together. There's something powerful about the community that happens together. There's something powerful about what happens when we put our minds to doing something. By myself, I couldn't do what we do. But we're better together. You think I could feed 2,500 people at Thanksgiving every year when we give Canton the bird? No. But we can. You think I could run a shelter by myself? No, but we can. You think that I could do everything we need to do to impact the people in this community, but, but we can. There's power in the local church, and the reality is the church has done such a piss-poor job of loving people that people no longer want to attend church. You've heard me say, I use this quote all the time. Bono, the lead singer of U2, said, he said, he loves God. He said, I love Jesus. It's his followers that I have an issue with. So when we started this church, we asked ourselves, 
what can we do to reach those who don't attend church? And make no mistake about it today, that is our focus. If you are here today and you are a Christ follower and you are a believer, welcome. We are so glad you're here. We hope you come back. But we didn't start this church for you. We started this church for those that don't do church. I think I said this last week. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It's like starting a steakhouse for a vegetarian, but it's what we do. You say, well, what happens if I want to be part of this church? Welcome. If you decide you want to be part of this church, here's what happens. You lose all rights. It's the opposite of most places. You join the golf club, guess what? You get the benefit of exclusivity. You get to go out and play golf where no one else gets to. You join the gym, guess what? You get the benefit of paying every month to some place you're probably not going to go, but nevertheless, other people don't get that honor. If you become a member at Costco or Sam's, guess what? You have the benefit now because you're a member. You can buy five huge things to catch up at a really low price. It's amazing. We don't do membership here, but if we did do membership here, it would be the opposite. When you became a member, you would lose all rights. It no longer becomes about your preferences. It's about how do we take outsiders and make them insiders? How do we bring that 74% through our doors who don't want anything to do with church and we let them know that there's a God that loves them, that a God that has a plan for them, that a God that has a purpose for them, that a God is not done with them, that there's a God out there who wants to do great things for them. That is why we exist. If you don't like that, that is okay. We're just not the church for you. I know you're not used to a pastor saying that, so let me say it again. It's okay. We're just not the church for you. If you're looking for a church with a different vision, find me after the service. Tell me what you're looking for, and I will point you in the direction of a church that will meet your needs. But we don't exist for your needs. We exist for that person who doesn't feel welcome in church. We exist for that person who's been run off by the church. We exist for that person who needs to come into this church and hear the word of God in a practical way where they can apply it to their life. And oh, by the way, for all of you that want to go deeper, you can't do the basics. So why should we go deeper? I'd really like you, Gary, if you, you know what would really get my fancy? If you, you ought to go to Revelations and break down the end times. You can't love God and love people. How are you going to break down the end times? You can't get the basics. I just would really like to see you do a series on blah, blah. You can't do the basics. Oh, and I'm not preaching at you. Hell, I struggle with them. I think I'm good in the love God area, but there's times, man, I don't, I mean, I'm mad at God. I'm arguing with God. But, man, that loving people thing gets me every time. I'll break it down with you. I told you before, let me shock you for a minute. I have a doctorate degree in pastoral theology, Dr. Lamb. Surprise. I forgot I even had it. I think me and Christine, I've been married about three years. We were moving. Packed a box and said, what's this? I said, oh, yeah, that's my doctorate. I, I get deep with you any day of the week. But nobody's impressed by how deep you can get in the Bible. What they're impressed by is if you love them. 
right where they're at. The old saying, nobody cares what you know, do they know that you care? We exist for that valuable thing that was missing. We don't apologize for that. We will never apologize for that. We're the church. <laughs> and there's been some crazy stories at this church. I, I, I always want to be the church where the homeless guy still can walk in with no T-shirt on. And someone gives him a T-shirt and doesn't even flinch. I want to be the church that four weeks ago, when the drunk Mexican is back there, literally laid out on the floor crying, screaming out to God in his drunken stupor. And what amazed me the most is some of you loved on him, and the rest of you didn't even really notice him because it seemed like a normal thing around here. We'd get him a chair, he'd end up in the floor. It's pouring rain. We'd, he'd go out in the rain, get soaking wet, and come back in. And, and, and like, I loved, I sat back and watched, and I said, that's just normal hat around here. Drunk people walking in. I, I want to be the church that when, he'll show back up, carries, and he's shaking so bad, he's in such DTs from lack of alcohol that we have to go across the street to the Chevron and tell them, hey, we'll come back afternoon when you can legally sell this, but we're taking this beer to give to a guy where he can sit through the church service. Say, I can't believe you did that. I don't care. We exist for that which is missing. I always want us to be the place that every pastor that screws up in North Georgia can walk in. It's my favorite thing. It happens here all the time. I was before my time in screwing up. <laughs> I led the charge, and I can watch them come through, man. They, they, they roll up in here with a sports coat or a tie on or something like that. I'm like, oh, they, they used to pastor, like as recent as last week. I said, what do you do? Oh, I, I, I was a pastor over at so-and-so, and I messed up. I said, yeah, you did. <laughs> I always look at them and say, man, guess what? God's not doing when you go find a seat. I love that about this church. I love that we're about that which was missing. It's, it, man, look, look around. This is a crappy building. Some of you are sitting in chairs right now that came from the Pink Pony Strip Club because we didn't have money to buy chairs, but they were throwing theirs out and gave them to us. How's that make you feel? I'm just saying, it's, it, it's a rough church. Someone said, I love that you keep it so dark in there. <laughs> we keep it dark where you can't see how nasty it is. Because we're about that which is missing. I, the other thing I want you to notice about these stories, I got to get done, I promise you I'll be short. They did whatever they could to find that which was lost. It, it's not enough to acknowledge that something is missing if you're not willing to do whatever it takes to reach that or find that which was lost. Let me make this clear. Someone asked me recently, I said, how far is far enough on how far you're going to push the envelope? Let there never be any doubt about this. We will do anything short of sin to reach those that are far from God. Then Jesus told him this parable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. I like how he says this like it's just common sense. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country? 
and go after the sheep until he finds it? You know why he said it like that? Because they understood the powerful role of being a shepherd. They understood that a shepherd would do anything to protect the sheep. That was common sense to them to leave the 99 and go find the one. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. He says it again, it's like it's common sense. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and doesn't she search carefully with intent, with purpose, with vigor until she finds it? Prodigal son's out there sleeping with the pigs. Thinks, man, I'm going to go home to dad. So he got up and went to his father. But he's still a long way off. The father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Don't miss this. Filled with compassion for him. Even though every situation he was in was his own fault. He made his bed and let him lie in it. Man, I have lied in some beds I made before and it sucked. Bill Compassion ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. They were willing to do whatever it took to find that which was lost. Action Church, I want to make sure that we never get in the routine of playing it safe. I never want us to get into the routine of this is what we do because we've always done it that way. I want us to always be a church that is willing to take risk wherever we see risk that need to be taken. If we see that those risks no longer need to be taken or someone else is doing everything that we're doing now, we'll move on to the next thing. We're not tied to anything. Years ago, we used to do a big back-to-school carnival out here. We'd get book bags and backpacks and thousands of them. Every church in town started doing it. Awesome, awesome. I don't say it to me like, awesome. We quit doing it. We don't do stuff just to do it. There was no longer a need. We moved on to other stuff. The thing we do now is we provide our building as a shelter for those. Every year we do a thing called Give Canton the Bird. Every year somebody gets offended by that name, and I think to myself, how pathetic that you're more worried about that name than the fact that thousands of people are going to get Thanksgiving dinner. Many of you weren't here then, but I one time had the idea, I'd heard about a clean needle exchange. Anybody remember that? Yeah, I'd heard about a clean needle exchange. So basically what they did was they provided clean needles to junkies for their dirty needles. People said, you're an enabling addict. I didn't look at it that way. I looked at it as we were keeping addicts alive. They were going to use either way. We never did it. I simply made a Facebook post saying, man, heard about this. I find it very interesting. Something, the last phrase, something I'm considering, because I was legitimately considering it. People lost their minds. I think like 30,000-something shares. I think 50 or 60,000 likes or dislikes ended up on the news. People were coming by and cussing us out, talking about boycotting us on a Sunday morning. Someone called the, uh, what's the group in Atlanta? CDC, called the CDC. They showed, the Center for Disease, yeah, the CDC, they showed up here at the building to find dirty needles. <laughs> they were done anything with dirty needles there, buddy. Pal. Sheriff's office called me and, you know, that's illegal. I said, what's illegal, making a Facebook post? But you know what made them the most mad? 
is I refused to back down from it. In the end, we didn't end up doing it. But people wanted me to get on social media and apologize for it. I'll never apologize for trying to do whatever I can to form connections with those that are struggling and far from God. You know the funny thing now is it's legal in the state of Georgia and they do it everywhere. Trendsetter Gary. I'm not going to apologize ever for what we do. Talking to a guy recently who runs some ministries. I've heard the guy had some issues with us. But he was kind of forced to because the Braves were doing something in our parking lot. He had no choice but to be part of it. I was licking my chops. I made it a point to make sure I was positioned next to him at the event. And then I got my chance. Somebody walked up and said, hey, can I get a picture of you two together? I said, well, you'll need to ask him, man, because he has talked so much crap about us. I don't know if he wants it on Facebook. And his face went white. So they walked away and he said, hey, is there some kind of problem? I said, you tell me it's some kind of problem. I said, have you not? Well, I mean, there's just things I don't understand. I said, what don't you understand? Now, I hear you have concerts in your building. I said, oh, okay. I mean, you do wrestling in your building? You do I said, it's a building. I said, it's an old, nasty, dirty grocery store that actually was a haunted house before we moved in. I said, is it some kind of sacred place? I just don't understand. I said, so let me ask you this. Would we be better stewards of our time to have this 32,000-square-foot building and only open it up on Sunday morning? To me, that sounds like giving a big F you to the community. It's funny. He didn't have any problem that uh, Bethesda Community Clinic meets in here every Monday. He didn't have a problem that when the ballet place over there lost their building, they met over here for almost six months rent-free. He didn't have a problem when the city has people stranded out on the highways in the snow that we're our redneck selves are running four-wheelers out there and bringing them back to the building, and they stayed here for almost three days. But it didn't fit his narrative of what a building should be. There's so many people that attend this church on the regular now because of those events. I've done more weddings for those people and funerals for those people. God has opened up more doors for me to pastor people outside of this church, those events. It's what we do, and we don't apologize for it. Why? Because something valuable is lost, and we're going to do whatever we can to form a connection. It's not about knocking on their door and shoving Jesus down their throat. It's about making a connection and letting them know, man, we love you, no strings attached. That's why we do what we do. And if you have an issue with that, you're going to be miserable around here. So three stories. Something valuable was missing. They did whatever they could, and I'm done right here. Once they found what was missing, they partied hard. I'm not a real party person. I went to a Spanish, what's it called, Christine? Whatever. I had to post it on Facebook, I had to Google it and then copy and paste it because I know how to spell it. 
tell you something about Spanish folks. They can party. Holy smokes. Like, I showed up, and I was like, it's going to be on like Donkey Kong tonight. It, it was a blast. They were excited because someone was turning 15, 16, whatever it is. I thought to myself, how much more should we party over someone who doesn't know God meeting God? He went and looked for that lost sheep, and the Bible says when he found it, finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. The Bible says, I tell you that the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people. So what the Bible says is, is God's more concerned about the one lost person than he is the 99 of you who got it together. Now he rejoiced over you when you came to know Christ. Now he's rejoicing over the other person. Don't die today in the service now. Secondly, when she shut up, Jerry, and when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. What'd she lose? Her coin. I found my lost coin. She's excited. Something that was lost was found. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Father sees him off in the distance. The son's coming home. The father runs to him, throws his arms around him. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe. Ain't it funny you didn't say, man, I need you to prove yourself now. Mm. You need to build my trust back. He said, quick, bring the best robe. The best robe. And put it on him. Put the ring on his finger. Man, that ring signified something. That ring in those days was a crest that let... People know what family you were part of. Put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they begin to celebrate. This place ought to be a party every Sunday. This place ought to be the most joyful place in the county. The music ought to be loud. The dancing ought to be strong. The smiles ought to be huge. It shouldn't be a drudgery to come here. If it's a drudgery to come here on Sunday mornings, it's probably you're probably at the wrong place. Why would you come to some place you hate to come to? You're not hurting my feelings. Go find a place you want to be part of. I love that there's an energy when you walk in here. That's the way church ought to be. Next week, we'll meet in the parking lot. You know what I love about this church is not one person gripes because we meet in the parking lot. Not one person flinches. We met in the parking lot for six months before we ever could have get in the building. Next week, people will go public with their faith through baptism. We make this clear, baptism doesn't save you. It's just your way of telling the world, I decided to follow Jesus. We will celebrate with those people. If you want to sign up for baptism, you go on the other side of that wall. And sign up. Then we will share a meal together because there's just something powerful about breaking bread together. There's a sign-up sheet for that on the other side. I don't, I don't know why. We're doing burgers. We're doing hot dogs. I think Faye wants it to be organized and a bunch of different things. You know me, bring mac and cheese, a banana pudding. I don't care about anything else. 
Someone told me last night, I said, what if you don't like banana pudding? Then go find another church. Like, there's some lines in the sand here. Okay? Man, we don't, we don't care if you're confused about your sexuality around here, but don't come up to us with banana pudding. Leave. Place ought to be a party. When that music hits, people ought to be excited. I'm going to hurt some of your feelings. Matter of fact, I'm going to hurt about 80% of your feelings. Except for the band. They're going to love me. When that band plays that last song, it's one more song that we get to worship Christ together corporately with. And y'all are making a beeline to get out of here. We start at 10 o'clock. We're already beating the Baptists and the Methodists to the restaurants. Where are you trying to get to? It's okay. Worship together. There's, a, there's this fulfillment that comes with that. It ought to be a party. Now let me wrap this up with this last part because some of you right now are steaming. You don't like it. You don't like that I said the church isn't about you. Meanwhile, this is after he said kill the fatty calf and do all that stuff because the dead son, we're now partying for him. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. I like how just on a moment's notice they were able to get music going. Man, go grab the piccolo or whatever it is they had back in those days and let's party. So he called one of the servants and he asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come. He's replied, your father has killed the fatted calf because he's, he's home back safe and sound. You'd think the older brother would be excited that the lost brother was back home. You'd think the Christian would get excited that lost people were coming in the church. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. How many churches are dying around this community because the older brother's mad and won't change with the times? How we've always done it. We're going to keep on doing it till we die. Well, if the flu season hits your church really hard, you're probably going to die. That church will be closed. Because your church has just dwindled down to nothing. So the father went out and pleaded with him. But then he said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Never even given me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. All these years, Jesus, I've been coming to church and serving, and man, Gary gets up there, and he don't make church about me. Shut up. But this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes. Good for him. At least he spent his money on good stuff. Come home. You kill the fatted calf for him. Sound familiar? One of the most powerful forms of Scripture ever is next. And I want you to remember this if you're a Christ follower. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. Here's the deal, Christ follower, mature Christian believer, person who's here because you want to be a missionary and help us reach those that don't know Christ. It's already yours. God already threw a party for you. We're still here for a purpose. And that's now to go after which is lost. If we didn't have a purpose the moment we got to know Christ, he'd just take us on home. But he left us here. The only thing we can do here that we can't do in heaven is go after that which was lost. 
Someone said, we're, we're left here to worship. Hogwash. We can worship in heaven. We're left here to go after this lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Everything I have is yours. But we had. I like he said, we had to. Like, there's no choice. We had to celebrate and be glad because the brother of yours today is alive again. He was lost and he is found. No apologies. I love this church. And I love this church because we believe found people find people. If we ever want to get to the point that we don't want to do that anymore, let me know. Let me know. This is too much work to cater to Christians. Well, I just like hanging out. Cool, hey, I got a plan. I've had a plan for years. If that's all we want to do is just hang out. In most Baptist churches, they vote on everything. You know where I'm headed? They vote on the pastor. So we just all find one of these small dying churches that has a building, and we all join. Then we vote out the pastor, vote me in as the pastor, and we'll just hang out. But as long as we're in the center of our city, we're going to be a church for our city. If you don't like that, it's okay. I'm not even mad at you. You can vote me out. You say, we vote around here. We vote around here. We vote every single Sunday. All of you stop showing up. We'll take that vote as a no. We'll close the doors. As long as rent can be paid every month, I take it as you voted yes. And let me go ahead and give you this news flash, and I don't mean this in an arrogant way. Ain't no one else putting up with you, and you sure ain't putting up with no one else. First pastor came here and actually tried to pastor you, y'all have him out back hogtied and tarred and feathered. We're a marriage. <laughs> We're just that marriage. We've got to stick it out. You know what I mean? So let's stick it out finding lost people because we're found. 